Welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you this day, here in this room and wherever you may be. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm gonna encourage you just to put a place marker there. We'll be coming back to this text and to this passage a little bit later on. Before we continue this morning, let's pray together. Father God, we come to you in this hour. Father, we acknowledge that in this room and certainly all around the world, there are people who are hurting, there are people who are in trouble, there are people who are lost, there are people who are disillusioned. And Father, we join our hearts together this morning to pray for all of those who so need your touch, who so need your peace, some of those people are in this very room. Father, we pray for those of our family and friends who are away today, who are traveling. We pray that you be with them and that they be safe and safely returned to us. Father, we pray for ourselves as we gather here for this time of worship, this time to reflect on your teaching. And our prayer is that our hearts will be readied and our minds will be opened to hear what you may have for us to hear. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. You'll know that last week, Pastor Sean launched a new sermon series called Chasing the Wind, Finding Meaning where it matters, a sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. He began that sermon series last week, he launched it, and then he promptly left town. (laughs) No kidding, right after this service was over, he hopped on a plane to help Laura chaperone a group of her culinary students somewhere on the other side of the world, and well, Here we are. It is expected that Sean will be back in this this pulpit next week, but if Ecclesiastes teaches us anything, it's, who knows? (laughs) To me, the book of Ecclesiastes is is interesting. It's, um, It's interesting literature. We have an unknown author of the book, who introduces a teacher named Koheleth, 
who essentially chronicles all the ways that he has tried to find meaning and wisdom only to find that they cannot be found in the ways that we would normally pursue those things, meaningless, the teacher says. It's all meaningless, vapor, smoke, havel, like chasing the wind. The author reports the words of the teacher and then he closes the book with a little commentary with his own conclusions and we'll get back to that in a few weeks. But the teacher says that time arrives and just marches on. He says life is unpredictable and we can do little to nothing to control how things unfold. Now, that's unsettling to me, and I imagine that's unsettling to you. That doesn't make sense to us as participants in the human condition, especially when we spend so much of our time and effort endeavoring to be in control. We endeavor to be the masters of our domains. We work so hard at it. And we work, and we work, and we work. Now I admit, when I read the words of the teacher, Koheleth, and even when I hear the voiceover in that wonderful sermon bumper that we just heard, I have a, um, I have a visceral reaction. I have a guttural reaction. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's post-traumatic stress disorder. But it may be a kissing cousin. I can just feel something begin to rise. Now, many of you know that Connie and I lived in an apartment in Brookhaven for a little while. Connie had gone to work in College Park and we needed to get out of Gainesville. We didn't really know where we needed to be or where we wanted to live. So we moved to Brookhaven into an apartment to give ourselves some time to sort things out. And we stayed there longer than we planned. We stayed there longer partly because of the pandemic and also partly because, well, we just liked it. It was a fun place to live and a fun way to live. I loved not owning a lawnmower. (laughs) We stayed a little longer than we had planned. One of the perks of living there in Brookhaven in MAA Glen Apartments is that they had these little urban four by six raised garden spots for residents who were interested in growing things. And that really captured my attention for some reason. I somehow gravitated toward the idea of being an urban farmer. In fact, I commandeered two four by six plots. I felt like a land baron right there in Brookhaven. I bought some gardening tools and a little case to carry them in and I cleaned out the weeds and turned the soil in my little garden spots. I added some organic fertilizer and other nutrients. I started a little compost pile, got interested in composting. Sometimes I just go and sit next to my garden looking at the dirt, dreaming of the day that my little farm would be loaded with vegetables. 
Now, just before time to plant, Connie and I took a trip to Northern California, and I was introduced to the concept of biodynamic farming, where the components in the farming system naturally produce their own protection and naturally produces its own fertility. I just found this idea of biodynamic farming to be fascinating. I gravitated toward it. I put articles on the subject on my garden community bulletin board. I tried to get my fellow gardeners interested in the concept. I suggested that we build some bat houses in order to help control the mosquito population. I suggested that we introduce ladybugs into our gardens who would protect our crops from mealybugs and other types of insects that might harm our crops. crops. It quickly became apparent that I was the only person in our gardening community who had any interest in biodynamic farming at all. In fact, all of my fellow residents there looked at me like I had two heads. I shook that off. I carefully planned out my garden, had it all laid out. I planted yellow squash, but only a couple of plants because remember, the plot is four by six and those plants grow really large. So you don't have a lot of room. I planted a couple of plants of yellow squash. I planted green peppers. And most importantly, I planted tomatoes. Now, I don't like tomatoes. I don't eat them, but Connie loves them. And I intended to grow her a bumper crop of tomatoes. I installed a watering system into my little urban garden. I mean, it was just a little water spout sprinkler that I had to attach the community garden hose to, but you know, to me, it was a world-class irrigation system. And don't you know, in due time, those plants began to grow. I could see the blooms where peppers would soon appear. I could see the little squash begin to develop, and it looked like I was going to have a bumper crop of tomatoes for Connie. And I kept that garden spot weeded and watered and I was so proud. I would check on it several times a day. I would think about it at night. I would dream about my little garden spot. Now, I don't know if my bat houses and ladybugs did any good or not, but I had them and I was proud. What I didn't count on was the squirrels. Those demons were everywhere, (laughs) and they were fearless. They would taunt me. I never grew a single pepper. The blooms would disappear as quickly as they appeared, and all the squash was gnawed on long before it was time to harvest. I still had hopes for the tomatoes, so I began to introduce some repellents like mothballs and dried pepper flakes. That didn't work. I bought two fake owls, birds of prey, as fierce as a face as I could find, and I put those two owls in my little urban garden hoping to scare off the squirrels. It did not work. In fact, I kid you not, I personally witnessed a squirrel sitting on the head of my fake owl (laughs) eating one of my tomatoes. 
I did not harvest anything in year one. In year two, I did it all again. Only this time, I added an elaborate netting system to cover the plants. I double netted it. I had post and cross beams. I mean, it was a real engineering marvel. I was determined to keep those squirrels out. I didn't even try any other vegetables. I intended to grow Connie an ample supply of tomatoes. After two years of toiling and laboring and battling, I harvested one. Only one edible tomato, which I am quite sure had to be the world's most expensive tomato ever grown. (laughs) Meanwhile, there in Brookhaven, Connie enjoyed walking across the street, sauntering over to the farmer's market, where she visited with neighbors and feasted on delicious tomatoes that somebody else grew. So let's not feel too sorry for Connie. The only thing I ever harvested from that garden was radishes. It seems that squirrels don't like radishes, but neither do I. (laughs) So what's the point? So before season three of my career as an urban farmer, Connie and I bought a house and I gave up my land Before I left, I walked to the garden one last time. The person who came after me, who inherited my land and my impressive netting infrastructure, had taken it all down. It was completely gone. There was no water spout watering system. There was no carefully laid out planting. There were no fake owls or any other fake birds of prey. The whole thing, was just covered in flowers. And in the middle, I want you to know, in the middle was a squirrel feeder. (laughs) With squirrels just frolicking all over the place, having the time of their lives. And right in the middle of the garden was a brightly painted sign that just said, beautiful. Hevel. Hevel. Hevel, smoke, vapor, chasing the wind. You'd think I'd learn a lesson. Don't even ask me about my ongoing battle currently at the new house with a wild roving band of raccoons (laughs) who seem to delight in tearing up my new sod to get to the grubs underneath. Don't even ask me about that. It looks like this. Don't get me started about the trail camera that I have installed, about the motion detector spotlights, about the repellents, about the traps, about the air rifle, about the golf balls in the window seals because I couldn't hit anything with an air rifle. I just throw golf balls at them. (laughs) Don't ask me about the radio that I play all night long on 680 The Fan, hoping that the sound of a human voice will keep the raccoons away. Hevel. Hevel, Hevel. We work and work and work and toil and labor. The words of 
Koheleth, as we find them in the second chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, beginning with the 17th verse, (laughs) resonate with me. So I hated life. There's a real pick-me-up way to start. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me and simply feeds the squirrels and puts up a sign that says beautiful. I'm sorry, I got a little off track. (laughs) I must leave them to the one who comes after me and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun. All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. We work and work and work and toil and labor. It seems to me that most of us are continually looking for ways to be more or to be other than what we find ourselves to be. It seems to me that most of us are continually looking for ways to be more or to be other than what we find ourselves to be. And why? Why can't we stop reaching and striving and grasping incessantly? The more we reach, the more we strive, the more we grasp, the further and further away the finish line seems to move. We work and work to gain more and more mastery, to accumulate more, to collect more, to hoard more, to put more in the storehouse. We work and labor and toil to expand, to expand our resources, to expand our possessions, expand our knowledge, expand our expertise, expand our prominence, our power, our influence, expand our reputation. We work to elevate our status and to enhance our station. Work and toil and labor. Well, of of course we work. Let me insert the disclaimer. Of course we work. It's good to work. It's good to have a job. It's important to have a good, solid work ethic, especially when it seems we live in a time where a good, solid work ethic is more and more hard to find. It's important to work. Even Ecclesiastes says in the ninth chapter, whatever your hands find to do, do it well. Do it with all you have. I don't mean to suggest we should just stop working, but why can't we locate the off button? Why can't we find the enough button? How often do we really stop and ask ourselves, why am I really doing all of this? 
What's the purpose? What's the point? And does that purpose and does that point really matter? What's the end game? We don't ask ourselves that question very often. Koheleth, the teacher, says that we will not find the meaning for our lives that we are seeking in work and toil and labor. Says that all throughout the second chapter. He seems to be encouraging us to set some priorities or, or maybe yet to apply some perspective or maybe even more so be realistic, be more realistic about our expectations. Koheleth suggests that we should perhaps rid ourselves of the delusion that our work and toil and labor on this earth is everlasting. Because it is not. It's seasonal at best. It's temporal. It's all Temporal. Whatever you do, somebody has done it before, somebody else is doing it now, somebody else will be doing it long after you are gone. It may be done differently, quite likely it will be done better, but it's all temporal. Some years ago in another life I was a foundational part, I like to think I was a foundational part, of starting a new sales office here in Atlanta for the company that I was working for at the time and I poured myself into it. I did really good work, I think. We built it from the ground up and it came at great sacrifice. It came at great sacrifice to me personally, to my family, to my faith. That sales office grew to be the number one sales office in the company. We were praised and we were lauded and I was there at the start. I was the very first new hire. Some years later I was feeling nostalgic and I dropped in on that sales office. The one that I had built. No one there. Not a single person had ever heard of me. No one knew my name. And not a single person there that day was interested in giving me the time of day because they were busy and they were working and they were toiling to become more and to become other than and to do the thing which I thought I had already done. To put a finer point on it, Rob Nash was here. Some of you were in this meeting. He was here a few years ago. We were in the heritage room and during that session, he asked the question to us there. He said, how many of the people in this room can name all four of your biological grandparents? Practically everyone in the room was able to do that. We could all name all four of our biological grandparents. He then said, how many of you in this room can name all eight of your biological great-grandparents? And there were very few, if any, in the room that could do that. He then said we should think carefully about how we live our lives, about how we invest our time and our energy because the fact is in just two generations, our own family won't know our names. Hevel. Hevel. Rid yourself of the delusion that whatever you do is everlasting. It is not. It's all temporal. 
Ultimately, our time is going to run out. So take a breath. Don't reach and strive and grasp and toil and labor to the extreme. Find the off button. Find the enough button. Koheleth goes on to suggest that we rid ourselves of the delusion that we are in complete control of outcomes at any point in time because we most certainly are not. Life is unpredictable, it's unscripted. Our work and our trajectory, our planning and our scheming, they get interrupted, don't they? We don't need to think any further back than this global pandemic whose impact we are still feeling. Jobs lost, supply chains disrupted, lives lost, plans put on hold, healthcare system near collapse. It all just came out of nowhere. None of us were planning for it, and yet it has dictated the rhythm of our lives to a large degree for some time now. We can think of bubbles bursting, tech bubble, housing bubble, pipelines bursting, and all manner of hopes and dreams bursting for any number of reasons, no matter how hard you try and how carefully you plan and how intently attentive you may be, a squirrel can still come along and eat your tomatoes. So take a breath. Don't toil and labor to the extreme. So what do we do with all of that? Koheleth, I think, encourages us to do a few things. First of all, the teacher encourages us to just take it as it comes. Just take it as it comes because it's going to come just as it comes. Unpredictably unscripted. So just know that and take it as it comes. And when adversity comes our way, which it most certainly will, it's a great time for us to apply a little bit of perspective, to give ourselves a little break, to take a step back. When adversity comes, as it surely will, remember that it's not personal most of the time. The world is not out to get you. There's not a person on the planet who has awakened that morning and said, I am going to make that person miserable. Most of the time. Sometimes that happens, but that's a whole different sermon. (laughs) When adversity comes our way, normally it's not personal. The world is not scheming against you. It's not pervasive. That thing that we are encountering may be bad, it may not be good, but that doesn't mean that the entirety of our life is not good. It doesn't mean that everything else is bad and awful. Oh, it can seem that way if we let it. I can tell you it doesn't matter what's going on in my life and in the world in which I live that's awful and terrible that is not quickly remedied when I get home. Because that's beautiful and great. When we meet adversity, it's not personal, it's not pervasive. And Lord knows it's not permanent. Just hang on, because something else is on the way. That might be good, it might be not so good. But wherever we find ourselves is not permanent. 
take it as it comes. Kohelet also suggests us that we enjoy life, that we eat, that we drink, that we enjoy our friends, we enjoy our family, enjoy the people you've chosen to go through life with. Take time to enjoy the time that you have here. Be present in the moment. Find joy in every moment in which you find yourself. If I ever get my sod to root and to grow, I don't want to be interested in having a finely landscaped property. I want that grass to be where it can host a family cornhole tournament and a little yard where my grandchildren can play. Enjoy your life. Keep a sense of wonder regardless of what is going on around us, regardless of what's going on around us, just remember and be aware it is a big, wonderful, interesting world in which we live. It's a wondrous place. It's a wonder we're alive at all. Stay curious. Be amused. Have a sense of wonder. And I would encourage you to seriously consider biodynamic farming. (laughs) Have a sense of wonder. Most of all, most of all, bottom line, consider this. When we stop working and toiling and laboring to find ways to be more than or other than we find ourselves to be, when we put a halt to our various and futile attempts to construct our lives just so, to create ourselves according to plan, when we put a halt to that, we can give our full attention to God and to free up the space for God to be the creator in you, to create something in you. When we stop working and toiling and laboring to find ways to be more than or other than we find ourselves to be, when we put a halt to our various and futile attempts to construct our lives just so, to create ourselves, we can give our full attention to God and free up the space for God to create something in us. You see, you and I and all we do may be temporal. But there is one who is eternal. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. There is an author and a finisher. There is an alpha and an omega. There is one above the clouds who at the end of the day will have the final word. And it is there, right there, and only there, in that space where God is busy creating something in you doing a thing in you, forming and transforming you, constructing you and deconstructing you and reconstructing you. It is there and only there that meaning is found. Only there. There you will find the promise of Jesus fulfilled. A human life, abundant and full. Be attentive to that. Focus on that. 
Reach for that. Strive for that. Grasp toward that. Live right there. Work and labor and toil in that garden. It is, after all, the only thing that really means anything at all. It is the only thing that matters. Everything else under the sun, smoke, vapor, like chasing the wind, Havel. Amen and amen.